And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so we got a mega Wizards After Dark today. So in a moment, we are going to be talking with Jonathan Wasserman from Bleacher Report. Does incredible work on the draft over at Bleacher Report. And uh, Jonathan was nice enough to join me for a while to talk about the Wizards at number nine and who they could take and who they wouldn't take, who would fit, what they could be thinking, all those great things. Obviously, the draft is coming up on Wednesday night as part of a huge week for the NBA. The NBA just sent out, like I'm recording this thing at Sunday night, the NBA sent out like a 65-page document to all these teams with all the new rules, and trades are allowed to start on Monday. So they've got like 24 hours to learn all the details of all these new rules. Trades can start coming through on Monday. We've got the draft Wednesday night. we got free agency starting on Friday at 6 p.m. And so I just figured for Wizards After Dark, let's work together one giant mega preview of what could be coming in the Wizards offseason. So we got a conversation with Jonathan Wasserman coming up very, very, very shortly. And then uh, a little bit after, like something like 33, 35, 37 minutes, I don't know, something like that into the episode. Whenever I'm done talking to Jonathan, I had a conversation with Danny LaRue, my colleague at The Athletic, who's so good on off-season stuff, obviously, and and specifically concentrates on the collective bargaining agreement and salary cap stuff for us at The Athletic. And Danny does such a good job, and we had a great conversation about players the Wizards could potentially go after in free agency, who might fit, what deals we like for specific players, what deals we don't, rim protectors, wings, uh, you know, the, the concept of building around Beal and Wall and everything like that. So, an especially long episode today. Uh, before we start, really quick, I just wanted to plug, I had a bunch of stories up at The Athletic last week that were forward-looking at the offseason. Had some stuff on Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, other draft stuff, a potential trade-down scenario that I wrote about, in which they end up getting Precious Achua. I also, on Friday, had a story that came out about centers, who they could go after in free agency with the mid-level exception or something cheaper. Uh, so a lot of stuff over there for you to read. And then also look out for something. This podcast should come out on Monday morning, but also look out for something that's going to be up on Tuesday morning. I'm, I'm writing a really big off-season preview that's just going to talk about the draft and free agency, and it's going to complement this podcast well. There's going to be some stuff we talk about in the podcast, but most of it is going to be stuff I haven't talked about, haven't analyzed yet, and you're going to be able to read all of that over at The Athletic DC. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic DC, by the way, you can become one for a discounted rate at the athletic D- at theathletic.com slash wizards after dark, and that'll get you a full subscription to everything at The Athletic. But Enough of my plugging, enough of my advertising. Let's get to the conversation. We're starting off with Jonathan Wasserman. Let's get to it. So I'm on the line with Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report, uh, who does great work on the draft and college hoops and all that stuff. Um, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate yep. it. Thanks for having me, Fred. Yeah, this is um, 
this will be good. I've been wanting to, as you know, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a little while. So I'm glad I could squeeze you in for for the offseason preview. Um, so let's let's get right to brass tacks. You had, at least in your most recent mock, um, and it's plausible. So we're recording this on Friday. This will be out on Monday. So it's it's I guess it's plausible. And tell me if this is true, if if it changes, you know, if you plan on changing it over the next two days. But in your most recent one, you had you you along with many others have Onyeka Okongwu going to the Wizards at number nine. Um how likely do you think that scenario ends up being? Because it's funny, I talk to people and they they predict a Kongu in a nine. That's the most popular prediction. Then they say, Yeah, but it'll probably be gone by then. Are you of the yeah, but he'll probably be gone by then uh, I mean, thought process? I have him like number three on my board or number even possibly number two on my board. But you kind of look at the way the, the the order is set up. And, you know, in my mind, it's like, how can eight guys go before Okongwu? Um, and then you think, well, if, if Atlanta doesn't take a center because they just traded for Capella. Um, and then Detroit, I mean, everybody's buzzing. And I've been hearing it for weeks that they really like Patrick Williams. And I don't think the Knicks are going to take Okongwu with Mitchell Robinson. I haven't heard any ties um, to the Knicks and Okongwu. It's just possible that he could slip to number nine um, just basically because of his position and and the teams in, in front of Washington ha- already having centers. So it's possible, and that's kind of why everybody has that um, that connection there with Okongwu and the Wizards. And honestly, I've heard early in the process, like maybe a month ago, that the Wizards were targeting Okongwu and, and he was the – their main guy and honestly if they didn't get him that they think about trading the pick but i mean it really comes down to i'd say and of course i mean charlotte could take him at three um if wiseman's off the board uh or if they're just like totally turned off by Lamelo or edwards because both of them have turned people off during this process uh, over the past year in general um you know there's just so much I, I i don't really have any confident takes of where anybody's going honestly but but um at this point right now, yeah, I still have Okongwu going nine to the Wizards. Yeah, it, it almost feels like, which is, I, I realize this is somewhat of a crazy thing to say because draft day trades are wildly unpredictable, but it almost feels like Okongwu is the type of guy who could go before the Wizards because somebody trades into the top eight in order to take him, right? Like, yeah. I, I think we're going to see some draft day trades. Uh that to me seems like a thing. I'm not necessarily predicting it to happen because that's a you know that's a crazy thing to want to bet your life on. Uh, but I I like if that happens, I would not be floored at all. No, totally. I mean, he's the Celtics obviously jump out as the team to make that move. I mean, they could they could use a, a big athletic presence around the basket, um, and also I mean he gets a lot of you know credit for his finishing and, and his rim protection, but. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he is offensively with the ball in his hands in terms of creating shots, his footwork, his offhand, his touch. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I have him as, as not just like a, you know, a, a finisher or, or physical presence, but actually somebody you can feature in the half court and say, go get me a bucket. Um, and, and I don't know, if you're Boston, you're obviously not leaving this draft with three first-round picks. So he jumps out as – Okago jumps out as an obvious trade-up target for, for a team in, like Boston or another team – um, in the teens. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you know, maybe could Minnesota do it? I mean, they've got 17. Could they do 17 and a player and get there? They could. 
Um, yeah, that's certainly possible. It'll be interesting to see if they put Culver on the table. I mean, I know that I've heard from from others that that his name has been mentioned in, in trade talks. I don't know how willing they would be they are to part with him, but I think they feel a little bit. Um, it, you know, they don't have the same level of confidence in Culver as they did when they drafted him, and so he could be uh, somebody they use to move up. And obviously, Minnesota is going to need defense, particularly if they use their top pick on either Edwards or Ball. So, yeah, he makes sense. Uh, on the other hand, another guy who the Wizards are going to think about is Preston Sachua, I'm sure. Uh, another defensive big um, who Minnesota could possibly get at 17, and which would really kill their motivation to, to move up if they did like Precious. But, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's another guy to think about for Washington as well. Man, you are um, you're reading minds here. Because because what I wanted to bring up here. So uh, over the last week, I wrote I wrote a lot of stuff about a Kongu to the point that if they don't take him, there's got to be some reader that I have out there that's going to be like, what the hell you've been telling me about this guy the whole time? And now he's not on the Wizards. And uh, in a piece that I wrote, I want to say for Wednesday, I I had somebody up there kind of reacting to John Hollinger's mock draft and and Hollinger because uh, all, all the beat writers did reactions to Hollinger's picks and, and analysis of Hollinger's mock picks. And Hollinger had Okongwu going to the Wizards as well because everybody does. And I figured it would be a little more fun instead of writing about him again to write about a potential trade down scenario that he mentioned Uh which is a trade that I am a little bit, I'm, I'll just say I'm totally fascinated with it. I don't know if it's a good trade. It depends on which players are on the board. And honestly, whether you pick the right ones when you trade down too. Uh, but I love the idea of, you know, the Celtics have 14, 26, and 30. I'm fascinated by that trade down scenario for a number of teams that are ahead of Boston. And that includes the Wizards at number nine, where you can just scoop up a bunch of, first round picks potentially uh, for the ability to move back. And Tommy Shepard has kind of for the last year and a half since he became Wizards GM has very much been of the philosophy that he's going to cast a really wide net and going after young players and going after guys on the margins. I mean, that is very much what he does. He wants to create new opportunities to look at guys. And if you can spin one draft pick into three uh, on the whole, you know, it's kind of like that that Shell Silverstein book where he turns a dollar into two quarters and then he turns a quarter into two dimes or into three dimes or whatever. Um, and and how like, you know, not understanding that the two quarters is actually more than the three dimes. But if you think you can get a dollar at 14 and you can also get a dollar at nine, that ends up being a pretty good deal, which brings me back to. The guy who you just mentioned, which is why I said you're a mind reader, because you I'm not I'm not sure you'll definitely be able to get Precious Achua at, at number 14. I I think Phoenix likes him um, and I'm sure some other teams do, too. But if you think you can get him at 14, you've done your intel uh, and you really like him enough. And again, I'm not I'm not saying that this Boston offer is completely on the table. I don't I don't know if it is or will be. And again, we're not going to know that till draft night anyway with these sorts of specific deals. If you think a chew is that good, that's something you might be willing to do. So I will ask you, 
what do you see as the biggest difference? What makes Precious Achua somebody who could go to number 17 at Minnesota, but Okongwu somebody who could go number three to Charlotte? First of all, props on that Shell Silverstein reference. <laughs> that, brought, that brought me back to like the kindergarten days. Right um, off the top of my head, too. Not a prepared <laughs> analogy. Very impressive. Um, so to me, listen, I, I have Okongwu in like a whole nother tier than Precious. I mean, I just think he's so much better offensively. Um, but I could understand the appeal to Precious. And, and uh, yeah, he makes sense for Phoenix at 10 and, and Boston at 14. I mean, if you don't see a big difference between the two, then sure. Um, I would certainly, uh, you know, the opportunity to move down to get three picks, including Precious, who if you think he's similar to Okongwu, it makes a lot of sense. I think Precious right now is like 90% physical tools and athleticism, and the other 10% is just flashes of skill. And it's kind of guesswork to decide whether those flashes of skill are going to kind of turn into regular, you know, weapons in his bag. Um, so, you know, right now I think that the real draw to Precious is how hard he plays with his size and mobility, right? He's 6'9", 230, long arms, um, gets himself easy baskets, by, by sprinting the floor and crashing the glass and defensively. I mean, you just project a guy who can guard a couple of positions and, and protect the rim and, and switch and pick and rolls. I think he averaged like two blocks and a steal, uh, which are good defensive playmaking numbers. And um, it's just, you know, if you're betting on Precious, you're really betting on over the next few years his development. Can he make enough open shots? Can he make the right reads a, a, as a passer? I think if you look at his synergy profile, I think he ranked in like the 40th percentile or worse in every of the major offensive skill categories. So again, you're betting on his skill development. From what I hear, he's a great kid and somebody who's willing to work. And I've I've seen him since high school. Uh, he's uh, an unbelievable, you know, physical presence. And some of the things he could do facing facing the basket are pretty impressive. But he's just not particularly sharp right now. But at the same time, he's a high floor guy. Somebody you could just bank on as, as an energizer. Um, and some teams see Okongu as that also. Some teams don't see the the score that I see. And so if you don't see a big difference, then trading down for precious and, and getting two more picks or at least, or at least one more pick uh, makes a lot of sense. But in my mind, I mean, I think um, if Okongu is on the board for the wizards at number nine, you don't make that deal. Yeah. I, I think you're probably in the, I think you're probably in the majority on thinking that I, I, I agree with you that Okongu is the better prospect and certainly the more refined offensive player. One of the things with with Precious is just kind of the, I don't want to say carelessness with the ball because that that uh, that implies that that he I guess doesn't care. I, I guess it's more un un he's unrefined with the ball. He's very unrefined with the ball. I I don't think he uh, goes through the proper processes when he has the ball. He's got like a one to three assist to turnover ratio, which is not always so huge for a big, uh, obviously those numbers are going to be lower than they are for someone who you have controlling the offense, but that's still something that's, that's relatively concerning. I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculously yeah. bad one, you know, I'll go, I pulled up his page right now and, and you know, you can't put too much stock, um, in, into synergy and, and stats for a, a freshman who played 30 games and um, on that particular Memphis team. But if you go down 47, 47th percentile in cuts, 23rd percentile in spot ups, uh, 46th percentile pick and roll big man, uh, 29th percentile post up and 39th percentile 
in isolation. So it's like he doesn't really do anything well offensively. Um, but he can do a little bit of everything. You know, he can make an open shot. He can attack a closeout. Um, you know, he'll get you second chance points. Um, he's just right. He's not a good decision maker with the ball. He's not sharp um, executing one-on-one against a half-court defense. Um, and, and so I think, you know, the early years, you're going to be counting on him to just use his his size, length, and mobility to make plays off the ball and, and really use his motor to kind of propel him. And then hopefully after a couple of years, he sharpens each one of those skills. But at this point, you're really, you know, to take him at number nine and pass in Okongu, you're really banking uh, on his offensive, uh, his offense improving over the next couple of years. Yeah, if you if you take him high, then you are banking on the character as much as you are on the talent, right? Sure. You're and 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 yeah, I, I mean, you know, I hear the same things. People say he's just a great, he's a great dude, uh, which is a very wizards thing, by the way. That's a thing that you hear about. Everybody who they look into, it's a very Tommy Shepard thing. It's all the stuff you heard about Troy Brown, which was true. Uh, you know, that's that's a very Wizards thing that that they they want the high character guy. They want the guy who's, who who comes into the locker room and fits in seamlessly and is going to work hard and be a easy teammate and all those sorts of things. And that's that's what you hear about him. You're betting on the person with that sort of, you know, offensive improvement. I, I see why anybody would like him defensively. I get it. Quick-footed and he's long and he's athletic and he he's a he's a pretty aggressive and intelligent defender too. It's not like the kind of raw offensive stuff. Like if you call him raw, I don't think he's that raw defensively. Uh I think he I thought he was just, you know, watching his synergy and obviously I didn't you know, I've said on this podcast a million times, I am not a prospect expert like you are, but watching his, his, the way that he defends, like, I don't, I, his defense doesn't come off as that raw to me. I think he defends very well for a freshman, makes quick decisions for a freshman, is actually pretty refined on that end. It's just, it's just the offense that, especially just like when he has the ball, the energy off ball stuff is pretty good. Like he runs the floor very well. Um, but that stuff tends to be just, are you running really hard? And do you have a good idea of which spots to go to? And if you're good at those two things, you'll be good at running the floor. It's, it's the skill work with the ball that, uh, that changes. But I, I think the defense and all the stuff he does without the ball is okay. So I, I see it. I get it. Um, and then again, but we're talking about the number nine pick. Yeah. And so that's, um, or I guess if you trade down, it's it's you know a couple spots later. But the defense is nice. But I mean, I think if we're talking about a player to be taken in the lottery, you know, the defense isn't enough, right? I, I think offensively, like how can you play? How can you play him thirty minutes a game if if he doesn't add any real value skill wise offensively? Um, and I think that's where I, I hesitate on, on Precious. Um, as as a target to me, he's somebody like I'd wish would fall to me later in this draft. It's somebody I'd I'd go up and target, or I target and trade down. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm bothered. You mentioned this: 87 turnovers to 30 assists, 60 percent free throws. He's not somebody you could rely on to make open shots. So, I mean, I think offensively, he's just too much of a liability right now to take to to, to really target in this draft. Yeah, that's 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 a great point, and it's well said. Um, we've we've talked about two big men to start this off. 
they Tommy Shepard has said publicly they're going to take the best player available. Uh, but we're talking about two big men here. So let's 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 shift over to that philosophy that they've said publicly. And and part of the reason that we're talking about big men is not just because you look at the Wizards roster and they could use a defensive minded center. It's also because those tend to be kind of the best the two premier guys who could reasonably fit into the roster at, at mm-hmm. the two draft positionings that we're potentially talking about here. But if the Wizards aren't taking Okongwu, um, they aren't taking Precious. Let's let's take those guys off the board. Who do you see fitting in well with them? Who do you see as potential fits? So I think one of the best things for the Wizards in this draft is that the guys who are going to be available and the best player available uh, conversation happen to fit what the Wizards need uh, in their roster. And so the other two names that come to mind are Isaac Okoro and Devin Vassell. And I think the Knicks are debating both of those guys uh, at number eight, also thinking about trading down. And I'd imagine one of them is going to be available to Washington. I, I, I can't see a scenario where both are taken. Um, and if both are taken, then Okongu will definitely be there. But so to me, Okoro is the name, and I'm kind of leaning towards the Knicks taking Vassell at this point based on what I'm hearing. And um, you know, they got to work out with Vassell. They did not get to work out with Okoro. And I think with Okoro, you really want to see his shot, uh, particularly for a Knicks team that needs shooters. So I think if Okoro was on the board at number nine, uh, he is certainly somebody they, they got to really think about. And I know Troy Brown is there, but um, Okoro is just a defensive monster in the middle of the lineup who guards everybody, uh, super efficient inside the arc, You know, doesn't make, doesn't take any bad shots, makes good decisions. And, um, I mean, it's somebody you kind of just know what you're getting every game. And, of course, the big topic of conversation is can he improve as a shooter? And you know, I'll say there are skeptics out there. I had one scout who is very, uh, you know, he, he worries about the track record of college players who've shot below 30% from three and 70% from the free throw line. It's not very good in terms of, an indicator of how good of a shooter he'll be in the NBA level. On the other hand, I've heard he could be like a Marcus Smart. You know, if he takes enough, he'll make enough. And all he has to do is become threatening enough as an open shot maker, given what else he brings to the table in terms of his toughness, his defense, his efficiency. I think he's actually a better secondary playmaker than he gets credit for, a good passer. And and again, just somebody you can bank on every game to give you something. And, and another thing I like about Okoro, like a bad game from Okoro doesn't hurt you. There are some guys who, if they play bad, you know, you got to pull them. Like, Okoro doesn't doesn't take you out of your offense. He doesn't do anything negative to impact your team or make it tougher to win a game. And so, uh, I think everybody seems to like him. The question is, does anybody really love him? Um, but I think at number nine, you know, you can't get too picky. And looking at Washington's roster, they need defense, uh, and he's just a sure thing in a draft that's kind of filled with uncertainty. Do you think he's the surest thing? Of of the guys who who we talk about who could be around at number nine, like you take that whole grouping together, people talk about Vassell like he's you know one of the high floor guys, safe pick, worst case scenario, solid three and D guy. Who's who's safer? Like if I told you one of these guys is, I could see into the future, and I will I see enough information that I know that of Okoro and Vassell. One of these guys is good, and one of these guys just was a complete bust and never made anything of himself in the NBA. Would you? Who would you pick as the guy who didn't make it? I mean, this is kind of a, 
a weak answer, but I really can't see either of them not making it. I, I don't see any bust potential tied to either of them. If I had to pick, I mean, I'd say it would be Okoro who who struggles a little bit just because of how um, you know for an offensive for a, a wing player or a forward player like if he can't learn how to shoot, you know, he becomes more of Justice Winslow, and that's a name I've heard for from the scouts who are kind of hesitant about Okoro as a top ten guy. Uh, I mean, I think with Vassell, your bank that jump shots is going to carry over. I know there is a lot of noise about that that 20 second video that was going around of him changing his shot mechanics or whatever, but he didn't change his shot mechanics. 40% from downtown back to back years. The higher least is actually advantageous. Um, and he's at least as good a defender as Okoro, if not better, and, and not just on the ball, but off the ball. I mean, he makes reads like you'd never believe. And, and so to me, I don't see, honestly, I really don't see either of them being bust. Um, they're both rotation players and I think pretty fast. Um, I, I just, you know, offensively for that particular position, I have a little more faith in, in a guy who can make outside shots at this point. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a fair answer. I mean, I is there anything? How do I phrase this with Okoro specifically? Because you watch him defend, and I I understand the wingy Marcus Smart comparisons, and I think that's a really well said thing that you just said about how on his bad nights. He doesn't hurt you because that's that's how you know that a, if if he ends up being a role player and not a star. And when I say role player, I mean just somebody who's not on some kind of massive contract and he's somewhere from the third best to the sixth best guy on your team. If that's what he ends up being, then that's what you need, you know. And and look, you mentioned Troy Brown on the roster. Troy Brown doesn't stop you from drafting anybody. I think Troy Brown's going to be a nice a, a good rotation player and he's clearly gotten better, but he doesn't stop you from drafting anybody. And this team, we talk all the time about how this team needs a big on this podcast, but Thomas Bryan is pretty good. Uh, he is a very good offensive player. He also showed advancements in the bubble. He's 22 years old and there are no threes on this team other than Bonga, who is still raw and still needs work on his on his three point shot, uh, and has come along defensively nicely, but there he is the only three on this roster because Troy Brown will play the three, but he's not really a three. And and when we talk about threes, like I'm not talking about somebody just because you need somebody to nominally nominally play small forward i'm i'm talking about this because you need a wing who can actually provide wingy stuff who can provide that size and that versatility and be able to guard other big wings and all those sorts of things and i think okoro provides that like man his his energy defensively is is wild like that is going to transfer we're gonna see that sort of inspiration defensively as soon as he steps on an nba court there's no way otherwise you know i had a conversation with the scout yesterday and he was he has them to sell number two on his board overall and he uh, was a little bit more hesitant about okoro but at the same time he said like I like Okoro. You know, I think that's kind of the reaction we're getting. I like Okoro. Everybody likes Okoro. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's, aside from 
the type of things he does on the floor. Everyone raves about his work ethic and his professionalism. And if you hear him talk, I mean, it's just like there's no nonsense with him. It's not like, you know, he's like the opposite of Anthony Edwards, who's like, you know, retweeting everybody who says he's the number one pick and, you know, like, you know, rapping to the to his phone and stuff like like Okoro is just like all business, um, every coach's dream. Um, and, and then Vassell, too. But I think I think with Vassell, I just think there's like a level of upside uh, with him and his shot creation, which is just higher than Okoro. And you talked about wingy. Like, I, I mean, to me, Devin Vassell is like your prototypical small forward wing. I think, honestly, Okoro, to me, is better at the four. Um, and I think he can play the three. Um, but obviously, if his shot doesn't develop, you kind of prefer that he plays the four. I know Rui is there. Um, so to me, I mean, uh, the more I think about it, the more we talk about these guys, Vassell would be the target for me as that true wing who shoots, but also has upside as a creator. And Florida State guys, I mean, if you watch that team over the years, they share the ball. They don't feature anybody. I talk to their coaches, and of course, every college coach you know, raves about their kid is better than what he was able to show. But their college coaches think that Vassell is so much better than what people are saying and where he's projected to go. And I, I've heard the Warriors are like super interested in him, um, even as a number two pick, although I think that's BS. But I, I mean, I think that there are there's a level of upside that, that some scouts see and his coaches see that that I don't know if Okoro gets there. And, and the scout to me said, if, you know, if you're banking on Okoro, well, I heard two different scouts say one thing, two, uh, two different things. I've heard if you're banking on Okoro, you're banking on the gains from his intangibles. And then you're also hoping, um, I think, upside that he's Iguodala. I mean, I think that's the that's the hope um, for him. And then and then I think when it comes to the sell, the name I've heard a couple of times is Chris Middleton in terms of a, a little more scoring potential. I... The Warriors are that dude who goes on the dating app and just swipes right on <laughs> everybody as just a way to try to let them know their intentions. Like, I have heard that the Warriors like everyone at number two. Like, I'm shocked that I haven't heard that the Warriors like Tyler Bay at number two at this point. Like, they, they have, I have heard. 900 different names. Oh, the Warriors like this guy at number two. I, it's, it's unbelievable. Like they're aware they can only draft one guy at number two, right? And that yeah, they I might mean, not I, keep number two. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I wonder how that really, you know, cause everybody thinks that they have, you know, their source and whatever. And, and, and I have mine and I've heard, I, I mean, you know, I, I read the internet, I read other people's reports and stuff. And you're right. I've heard literally like one through eight in this draft the Warriors have been tied to them and they're blown away by Abdia and uh, you know, they, they love Halliburton, maybe even the two. And, and I'm, I've heard from a couple of people how much they love the cell um, and Okongu over Wiseman and, and actually Wiseman number one. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I can't, I'm not going to, um, you know, say that all these reports are, are, are fake and, and that, um, you know, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very, I've, I've I, you're right. Like I've never in all the drafts, I don't think I've ever heard more leaks come from one team in, in my entire life. Yeah, no, it, it's not that the reports are are fake. It's just that there's a lot of I think there is more BS around this time of year like than there is any other point of the NBA season, more so than trade deadline, uh, more so than free agency. There's just more BS going around about the draft. And 
that stuff just makes its way out and it's incredibly difficult to decipher. There have been times where I've heard things and I, my BS meter has gone up and I've been like, there's, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely one of the things that I, I should not do anything with. And then it happens and I'm like, oh crap, I should have said, <laughs> should have said something here, you know? And then, and then there's also like, you know, like, and again, I'm not, I'm not calling out any names in terms of reporters or whatever, but I think, too loosely, it'll be like, okay, I know this trainer who has a friend, uh, you know, around the Warriors who really likes, um, who really likes Obi Toppin, and then somehow that gets translated to the Warriors like Obi Toppin. You know, right. there's a lot of guys in the front office, and uh, they don't all have the same exact opinion. And I, and I think that, you know, a team likes player X gets thrown around too loosely because maybe one of forty front office members likes that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think Vassell is really interesting because if I could identify one trait that the Wizards need, and, and some people might disagree with me on this, but if I could identify like one specific basketball trait that would help the Wizards the most, or even not even a trait, but just a basketball principle that would help the Wizards the most, it's someone who is just kind of always in the right spot on defense. Well, More. That's your guy. Then. Yeah, that's why I'm so intrigued by him because ultimately, I think more than one-on-one defense, what they need is just somebody who's not going to create even more rogue defenders because that's kind of what they had this year. And I think it's just going to be easier for these young guys to learn how to play defense. I mean, look, Troy Brown is a clever player bonga is a clever player defensively like these guys will figure out to be in the right spot Rui is is a smart person like these guys are going to figure out whether to like to be in the right spots if people are able to guide them to the right spots it's very hard for a young player to learn how to play defense if they're always having to recover into the wrong spots. And and that team defense certainly got better after they traded Isaiah Thomas, but it was still far from perfect. If they could insert some defenders who just know how to be in the right places, more so than the rim protection, I think, more so than the one-on-one defense on the perimeter or the pick or like, you know, the the specificities and the physicality of the ball screen defense and all that kind of stuff. If you just have guys who help in the right places at the right times, you have guys who rotate properly and who are in the right places while guarding those pick and rolls, it will help them tremendously to shave off some possessions here and there. Uh that's what I find intriguing about Vassell, to be honest. Uh he he is, I mean, beyond the shooting. And I'm, I'm a little concerned with the three-point volume. Should I be concerned with the three-point volume, actually? Um, I've thought about it. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not at the level of concern. You know, it, it, it lowers my confidence level a little bit. But um, the, the accuracy to me is, uh, I'll take the accuracy over the limited volume. Yeah, but, but that, 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 the way that he is just with his defensive habits is is really encouraging and like that's that's going to transfer over right even as the speed of the game gets faster and the athletes get bigger and more physical i'll tell you he's the most fun player to watch film on defensively if you watch games and you just focus on him you don't even don't even follow the ball don't even look at the guy who's handling it just watch him off the ball and 
you know, he, he's suddenly in the middle of the play, you know, just anticipating and seeing a play before a pass is made um, or anticipating a drive and he's already at the rim as a weak side, you know, shot blocker or, or help defender. It's, he sees it. He sees it before it happens. And, and, you know, we look at Okoro and we kind of, because we, he, he's got those tree trunk legs and his intensity, we think of Okoro as like the main on-ball guy. Well, Vassell to me is is the off-ball guy. I mean, that's where his value is going to lie defensively. And honestly, I think you're right. I think it's more valuable to be good off the ball defending than it is to be on the ball. Of course, you don't want to get beat off the dribble all the time. But I think on-ball defense is honestly a little bit overrated. I think everybody is kind of in the same tier of on-ball defense. But knowing – being able to read plays from away, away from the ball, um, you can't really teach that. And I think Vassell has it, and um, it's going to make the team defense better. Anything to plug before we wrap up? This is going to run on Monday morning. Um, I'm sure you've got tons of things coming out before the Wednesday draft. Uh, Anything to plug before we finish? Yeah, I mean, I think the mock draft will be out and just constantly updated from Monday to Wednesday. I'll have the final top 50 or so prospects on my board out early next week. And um, I don't know, I had a lot of stuff written in my back pocket. Bleach Report publishes it. You know, without me even knowing. So, you know, follow the Twitter account. I'm sure I'll I'll, I'll send it out uh, as soon as I find that it's been released. Great, and you can read all that stuff at uh, you can read all that stuff over at Bleacher Report. Um, now let's uh, get over to that free agency preview. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So we're moving on to part two of this thing. Uh, And on the Skype line, I have the man, the myth, the legend, my co-author for one piece that i wrote earlier this off season or maybe we made it into two parts i can't even remember because everything is blended together the uh the unsinkable danny larue how you doing my friend i'm good how, how much are you missing capriotis <laughs> an off season an off season without capriotis feels like a failure of on all parts i know it's true there's one in arlington virginia though oh yeah, so I, I actually attend frequently. For those who don't know, Capriati is a sandwich spot in Vegas that is right by where they do Summer League that Danny and I go to for lunch like every single day. And they have great turkey. And there's one in Arlington, Virginia, and it's like right downtown Arlington. And uh, it's it's the real Capriati's experience. It's delicious. They have the best turkey sandwiches. If you get them as a sponsor on this show, I will be unbelievably pleased. I don't even want them as a sponsor because it kind of kills how organic my endorsement of Capriati's is. I have a full endorsement regardless of whether they pay me for it or not. Fair enough. 
I don't even want to watch. I'm going to find out the athletic endorses like Capriati's or has an endorsement deal with the Capriati's greatest competitor. This entire podcast is going to have to be taken down. All of our work gone forever. Eh, used to it. (laughs) All right. So right off the bat, I want to play a game with you. First, I am going to give a quick description of the tools. We're talking like free agency now. We talked the draft in the first half. We're going free agency in the second half, covering all the offseason stuff. I want to play before we play the quick game. I actually want to just give a very brief uh, overhaul of what the Wizards have at um, their hands this offseason. So they are going to be over the salary cap. Because they want to re-sign Davis Bertans, they have to be over the salary cap in order to do that. So they will be over the salary cap. They will not have salary cap room. If they want to re-sign Bertans, there is no realistic or conceivable way they could be under the salary cap. Correct? Yes. All right. So that means the Wizards will have two main tools to be able to sign free agents. They're going to have the mid-level exception which will allow them to sign a player to an, uh, a salary that next season would be about $9.3 million. They're going to have the biannual exception, which will allow them to sign a player that will be about $3.6 million. They are not going to go into the luxury tax. Don't expect the Wizards to go into the luxury tax. It's not going to happen right now, including their first-round pick and assuming you know, Bonga's contract doesn't guarantee until the 19th. Uh, Bonga's contract will guarantee, throw that on the books, including that first round pick money. They're about $26 or $27 million short of the luxury tax line right now. That means you can sign Bertons for $15 million a year, and you're still going to be able to use your mid-level exception without going into the tax. And you know what? If you maybe get rid of a minimum contract here or there without consequence, you might have a little more room to use biannual too. Now, you don't need to give your mid-level to one player. You can split it up. You can give one guy six and another guy three. You can split it up amongst three players, whatever you want to do. The Wizards did that last year. They gave Ish Smith six million. They gave Admiral Schofield some. They gave Andres Pachersnik some. So you can split that up. Uh, anyway, Danny, ready to go? You don't even know what game we're playing right now. I don't. This is, this is when you know that you're doing the best podcasting, when, when you just – you the host doesn't even allow the other person the opportunity to prepare so we're going to be good to go so here is what i'm going to do i am going to name some players um and i i want to hear your reaction to how they might fit in with the wizards and if you were the wizards what kind of contract do you think would be reasonable for them okay all right so we're starting off Tristan Thompson. A better defensive option than Thomas Bryant, but I think he I think some of the fall off that we saw recently that that's going to continue. So, not the way that I would use the mid-level. I think generally speaking other than the really good centers, I I wouldn't really go too far on those guys. And Tristan's probably going to have an offer from the Cavs. I'm guessing. I'd imagine he has an offer from the Cavs too. The thing with Thompson is he was never a good shot blocker. But his rim protection numbers, like the advanced numbers on his rim protection, were always quite respectable. Yeah, and he did um, he did some stuff switching when he was younger, but I'm not sure he's that guy anymore. Yes, that's true. Although he's still superior to any of the big men the Wizards have now true. in that aspect. Um, 
his win protection numbers have gone down. I and mean, the Cavs, the, the only team that was worse than the Cavs on defense last year was the Wizards. Yeah. No, the Wizards passed them, but the last day of the year. Oh, the they Wizards did? passed them. Yep. The Wizards <laughs> were one-tenth of a point per 100 possessions better. 114.8 to 114.7. It was it was a big day for me and everybody who's around the Wizards. It was, <laughs> it was big news. Very exciting stuff. Um but yeah, the the Cavs are the only team over the last two years. They were the only team last year with the worst defensive efficiency than the Wizards. They were the only team the last two years with the worst one than the Wizards. And it's not like when Tristan Thompson was on the floor, the Cavs defense was unbelievable. Um, or unbelievably better, I should say. It was still quite poor. Um, but I, I think there's a little bit of an upgrade. How much do you think he gets? Ideal world, what's Tristan Thompson get? I'm I'm my instinct is between six and eight million. I, but the big question for me with him is years. Like I could see Thompson getting a one year deal, and I could see the, somebody making a mistake and giving him three, um, something in that. But I I think years are the bigger question for me, and I don't have a great read on Tristan Thompson's market. Yeah, I think he could get years too. Let's okay. How about this one? I'm gonna give you a a player and a contract now. Okay. And assuming the Wizards sign him for this contract, what would your reaction be? Um, Aaron Baines, one year, eight million. I like Aaron Baines as a player. I think that's a lot to commit to him. Like again, it's the marginal value of him versus a mid-level exception guy. But what I like about Baines for the Wizards and almost everybody else is that he's become a more confident shooter, and so that helps your spacing. And he's you know a, a competent defensive big as well. So I like Baines. I don't know. I I think I'd rather try to get him for part of the mid level rather than basically the full thing. Do you do you have because the Wizards want a rim protecting center? So they say. Like, do you have? I'll just throw out. I'll throw out some some guys who are out there. Sure. Um, do you have someone who you think is an ideal fit from a basketball contract that is a style? So so there's like I wrote a story on this for earlier this week. Just centers the Wizards could go after. Um, or just centers who will be free agents and here's who might make sense and here's who wouldn't. So there's JaVale, there's Dwight, there's Whiteside, there's Serge Ibaka, who I think is going to be priced out. I assume Christian Wood will be priced out. There is Derek Favors, so the two guys I just mentioned, Aaron Baines and Tristan Thompson. You got Harry Giles, Myers Leonard, Nerlens Noel, Alex Len, Mason Plumley. Uh, a couple guys I didn't write about. You could throw Jakob Pertl, because I'm going to have Pertl mentioned in my my Tuesday offseason preview, which will be written up on The Athletic DC. But he's a restricted free agent, so obviously that process would be a little bit more complicated. You got I, Isaiah Hartenstein. You got you – got, there are players. There are more players than there are roles. Is there anybody out there who you say, oh, yeah, that guy could be got for this, and that would be a nice ad for the Wizards? I'm interested in what Derek Favors ends up getting. You know, like, so Favors, if, if he, because you could kind of see the mix of optimism and pessimism for him, that, like, so 28 years old and it's possible he looked a little bit washed in the bubble. Maybe that's true, but I thought he looked better before that. So if he's, you know, mid-level exception for a shorter-term deal, I think that could end up being positive for the Wizards. Now, going multiple years, as you know, if they're retaining Bertans, that team gets really pricey because the contracts are, holdover contracts are going to rise faster than the cap, and so that means it's going to get complicated. So, like, if the Wizards go up to the cap, up to the tax, sorry, and also 
you know, they plan on keeping those guys, it could be a problem. Um, I, I, my instinct is that, yeah, so there are guys I like better. I like favors Pirtle, but he's, you talked about the limitations there. Um, but the, the, the bigger thing for me is just, I don't think that too many of those guys are dramatically better than the others. So if any of them get significantly more than the others, then that's probably a mistake. There are some specific exceptions, but generally speaking, less, you know, less is more valuable. Because then you can use that, like, because the idea is it's an opportunity cost. If, if the Wizards use their mid-level exception in whole or in significant part on a center, then they can't get anybody at another position. And wings are more scarce. Getting some more guard depth could be nice, depending on what happens, like, if they I, I, they have some guard depth. But, you know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, there's there's a lot there. And, and there are... Um what I was going to swing to right now is I was going to ask you similar stuff about wings. Okay. All right. I'm going to throw one at you right now. Um, Derek Jones, Jr. Three years of the mid-level. I like it. Um, I, so I'm a bigger Derek Jones, Jr. Fan than most. Um, I think that his defensive tools are, are fantastic and offensively he's limited, but you kind of know what those limitations are. And, He's. I think he'd be most intriguing on a team that has some sort of floor spacing from the rim protector. But remember that that's a kind of a luxury, you know. Like, yeah, if it, on a competitive team, that's going to be what you want. But he gives the Wizards. I mean, there was the question about like who is their best defender. Like, if they get Derek Jones Jr., they have their best defender. And so there's a chance that contract doesn't work out to be sure. But Derek Jones Jr. is 23, I believe. He's the one of the youngest unrestricted free agents that you really ever end up seeing who's actually good because, you know, if the guy's drafted in the first round, it takes him a long time, which Derek Jones was not. So, yeah, I'd be on board with it. Um, I, I'm more intrigued by his fit with a team like the Magic, but, hey, good on the Wizards if they can pull it. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by his fit. I mean, my my boss, David Aldridge, is, is totally in on they should – give Derek Jones Jr. the full the full mid level for four years. He is totally in on on Derek Jones Jr. And I I get it. I mean he's not a shooter, but he could be really good running in transition with Wall and Beal. The Wizards want to play fast. And every team says they want to play fast. But I believe them because they played fast last year and now they're adding John Wall. So I believe that a team that played fast last year is going to add John Wall and continue to play fast. I don't think that's exactly uh that doesn't exactly take a leap to believe Jones will be good there, and he gives them perimeter defense. And, and and there's so much talk for them about they need a rim protector, and part of it is all the fouling they did last year. Part of it is the fact that they were one or two teams in the league who allowed 70% shooting in the restricted area. I'm not arguing that it's incorrect that they need rim protection at all. That's totally correct. But it's hardly the only thing they need defensively. They need guys who can stop the ball at the point of attack. They need someone who can go out there and be feisty on the ball. They need somebody who can go out there and get into passing lanes, who can be consequential as a help defender. Like they need, like I'm talking a help defender from the wings too. Like they need pretty much anything. So if, if you see, oh, good defender, like that's kind of just what they need the most. Like I would take a really good rim, a rim, wing defender over a good rim protector if I were them. You know, I just think they have enough holes to where it's like, if you can get the better player, just get the better player. Here's another way to phrase it. 
I sometimes talk about good defensive big men, like Gobert is probably a great example here, as part of what they do is cleaning up mistakes. And another way to solve that same riddle is to just have fewer mistakes that need to be cleaned up. And so in that case, the center has to do a little bit less, and that makes you know that means that a less viable player. But here's another way, and I don't want to jump jump this on your game a little bit, but here's another way of thinking about use of resources. I would rather give Derek Jones Jr. the mid-level and then take a center like John Henson, let's say, at the minimum, than spend the mid-level on a center and get a wing for the minimum because a wing you're getting for the minimum unless a guy takes a pay cut isn't going to be that good. I, th- I think that's a great point. I mean, I've got some wings on my list right now. Um, I think Joe Harris is going to be too expensive. Correct. I think Jeremy Grant is going to be too expensive. Correct. Uh, Tory Craig is restricted, so you're going to have to wait on him, and it presents similar issues to Jakob Pertl, although well, I have to say— Craig is yeah, a little different because— Because he's not as good. Well, A, he's not as good, and B, if the luxury tax is kind of a hard line for Denver, as it kind of looks like it will be, then— if they have to spend on Grant, if they end up bringing back Paul Millsap and or Mason Plumley, then it might be hard to structure everything in. And yeah, they they could look different. Maybe they make a move with somebody else in their roster. But you know, they're they're kind of like the Wizards, where the there might not be as much overall flexibility. But the other big thing with Tory Craig, and I have my own moral disagreements with this, is he's already twenty nine. Like usually, when there's a restricted free agent. You think, oh, they're a young dude, but when they have a long path to the NBA, then they're still restricted. So I, 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 that's not to say Torrey Craig is a bad player, that he wouldn't help the Wizards rotation or anything like that. But the combination of you're going to need to make a strong enough offer that the Nuggets don't want to do it, and that he doesn't have as much, like let's call it age-related upside, makes it a harder sell. And that, that's really bad for Torrey Craig. Like, that's the person who it's worst for. I mean, I don't expect, for what it's worth, to give Torrey Craig the same contract we were talking about with, like, Derek Jones Jr. Good. At all. At all. Like, I think I think Torrey Craig, Craig is somewhere in that four, five mil a year range. I mean, he's he's very good defensively. He's very good defending screens and is quick. Uh, he He's good off the ball. Like, I think... He helps the Wizards defensively for sure. He doesn't. I don't think there's one individual out there you realistically sign for the price range we're talking about that fixes the Wizards' defense all by himself. But he makes the Wizards' defense better. Like I feel very confident about that. Um, maybe I just like Tory Craig more than you do. Yeah, <laughs> like that maybe, could very well be possible. It. I en- I enjoy watching Tory Craig defend. I think he maybe he shouldn't shoot some layups that he shot, but he <laughs> I enjoy watching him defend. Uh, I don't think Kentavious Caldwell Pope is going to be a thing here. He's got an eight and a half million dollar player option, which I, he he he's going to get paid by the Lakers, Correct. I think. And his market is is above nine million dollars. If he were going to get nine million dollars, I think he'd pick up his. He could pick up his player option and keep playing with a good team. And there's also the clutch connections with the Lakers there. And he was just the third best player in the finals. Like that guy's getting the contract. Um, would you rather have Justin Holiday or Mo Harkless? That's interesting because 
Harkless is a better defender, more limited, narrow skill set offensively. Narrow skill set doesn't mean terrible or anything like that, but he does have better positional size. Uh, I think I would rather, and they're and they're also like they're not. Uh, Harkless is younger. It's funny because it feels like he's been around forever because he came into the league younger. Um, I think I'd probably with the Wizards skill set, I'd probably rather have Harkless just because the defense matters. But I like both guys a lot. I think Harkless would be a nice fit for them. Yeah. I think he'd be a good phase, a very inconsistent shooter, but he has had years where he has shot from catch and shoot competently and then shot competently enough to literally stop shooting for the rest of the year. Literally did one of my favorite shameless basketball things of all time when he had an incentive in his contract to shoot 35% from three, hit 35% from three, and then did did not take a three for the last like week and a half of the season, so he'd stay above 35%. A, a move purely that legends make, and that is it. Um, I like him. I, I also think Holiday would be a nice help. I think he's a, I think he's a better shooter. I think he was pretty good in indiana last year and and this team just bonga is the closest thing they have to a three on the roster right now because i as someone who does not think that rui hachimura is your maybe in specific lineups but the rui hachimura is not your three that you go to on a regular basis they just don't they don't have that they have the the hachimura and the bertans types then they have the who are three four who are really four fives even they have the they have the Thomas Bryant and Wagner's who are just straight fives. They have, you know, Troy Brown's a combo guard and Wall and Beal is a combo guard and 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 Bonga is really the closest thing you have to just a straight wing. And they could just use like a wing who's rangy and you would just properly put on someone and isn't necessarily like Justin Holiday's not a stopper, but he's he looks proper guarding somebody who is a fellow wing you know and they they need somebody who's that like troy brown is is not going to guard really small guards but he also can get muscled because he's kind of 21 and still has that 21 year old some of those 21 year old tendencies troy brown you you, and 21 year old body and you put him on a really big wing and troy brown can get muscled like you you want somebody who who at least you can put on the big wings and be like I'm not even talking about LeBron and KD I'm just talking about a normal big wing and you're like we're okay there's nothing disproportionate about what's happening right now cuz the roster construction is is a little missing in that sense so I think they're going to go after somebody like that um and, and I think that's somebody who could fit uh you think they'd have any chance at Wes Matthews, who is already at the "I'm going to take less money uh, to go to winning situations" portion of his career? I I think that it's a possibility. Now, the Wizards would presumably have to offer more than the better teams. That like it, when a player, whenever a player takes the minimum, and my podcast partner Nate Duncan has talked about this well. It's very hard for somebody who has taken the minimum to break out of that barring something very unusual, like maybe they're coming back from an injury and they're just, you know, it's just an anomalous year. But Matthews is good enough where I think he can. And remember, he was just a starter on the league's best regular season team. So I think that they could get it. They could get in the mix. There was that there was some reporting on Sunday that the Lakers are interested as well. That might be hard for the for the Wizards to top. But 
I think they can get in there. And Matthews, you know, he started out his career as a, as a shooting guard, but as often happens when a guy gets stronger and slower and older, they kind of morph into a, a, a they shift in position. And so I see Matthews more as a three than a two now. Um, I, I think that that's a totally worthwhile thing. And I think Matthews has been underappreciated for a couple of years. You know, he's not the guy who signed a max contract all those years ago, but he's still a capable NBA player and was that last year. Yeah, I mean, look, Wes Matthews, I'm not saying the Wizards would be able to get him for the minimum. I'm just talking about what his value was last year. Wes Matthews, for the minimum, is a good value contract. He was a useful NBA player last year. He was helpful in multiple ways for that team. So I like Wes Matthews. Yeah, again, he's not close to the max guy that signed in Dallas. But he's a he's a good player who, who, plays, who can help a winning team, clearly. He just did it. Um, Let's talk about not trading Bradley Beal. Um, the Wizards are not going to trade Bradley Beal this offseason. Uh, Tommy Shepard reiterated that when on the low post. last. Did you listen to Tommy Shepard on the low post? I have not yet listened to it. Yeah, so Tommy went on the low post and said, we're building around Bradley Beal. No surprise. Um, I actually did an interview with Tommy over the weekend. Uh, the bits from that interview are going to be up on Tuesday during my uh, off-season preview piece, which you'll be able to check out, like I said, on The Athletic DC. And again, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you want to subscribe at a discounted rate, you can go to theathletic.com slash wizards after dark and you can sign up for a discounted rate for everything you want to get at The Athletic. It's not just The Athletic DC. It's not just my stuff. You can get everything across the country, NBA-wide, NFL-wide, MLB-wide, WNBA-wide, everything you want, you'll have access to if you go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark. And that includes the story that I have up on Tuesday talking to Tommy Shepard and and previewing many different aspects of uh, the Wizards offseason. So you can go check that out. Uh, one of the things that I talked about with Tommy and that he said in the interview was I prefaced my question with, look, I know you've said this a million times regarding, or I, I know you said you guys are not trading Brad a million times. Cut me off and very humor, uh, humorously cut me off. And he said, look, Fred, I'm only saying it a million times because you've asked me a million times. <laughs> And like I it is true. The only reason he's saying it a million times is because we all keep bringing it up. I'm going to bring it up again. Um, we wrote about this a few weeks ago, but we didn't do an accompanying podcast. So I figure we can talk about it now for a second. The Wizards are not going to trade Bradley Beal this offseason. Um, do you think that that should not be the case? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Broadly speaking, yes. I, but I think that, so as, I've, as I talked about in the piece, but kind of a, just, just as a general idea, in the abstract, the longer a team has a good player, so the more regular seasons, the more playoffs, the more they're willing to give up. That That's the whole idea. Now maybe they anticipate that they can re-sign them or anything else. And so knowing, knowing little beyond that, you assume that the return gets weaker the closer the player gets to free agency because the more likely it is that it's a rental or anything like that. And also, as a practical consideration, it's harder to integrate a player mid-season than it is before the season. Now, this year is going to be a little bit bonkers the whole way through because of the training camp and everything coming so quickly and all that fun stuff. So it becomes a question of, well, what are you doing between now and then? What are you trying to learn? What are you trying to, to prove? All of that. And so with the Wizards, I don't think, you know, I don't see this like, team that wins a couple rounds in the playoffs. Like, I don't see that those bones in here right now. Now, I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times in the past. I didn't see all that with Miami, and then they made the NBA Finals, and if they were healthy, maybe they win the whole thing. So I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I don't really see that with Washington. So it just kind of seems like it's this passage of time issue. However, there is a huge caveat there, and it is it always depends on what offers are on the table, and this is a time when the teams that theoretically would be most interested in Bradley Beal aren't particularly asset-rich because the Lakers and Clippers both gave up a ton in their trades, and then the Bucks just aren't particularly asset-rich, and, you know, you can talk about who else could be in the mix. None of them really have that great kind of, that great offer that I can imagine sitting out there. Maybe if Denver has Michael Porter Jr. or something else like that. So, in the abstract, Yes. In the specific, and, and and obviously, like, I was arguing that they should trade him last year when they could have gotten a haul, like, you know, maybe not quite what OKC got for Paul George, but in that range. So that, to me, was the bigger mistake. Right now, it might be a smaller one. You know what I think is really interesting, which I feel like as a concept doesn't get talked about as much. People talk about, like, oh, I can't wait for John Wall to come back, or I wonder what John Wall's going to look back, or anything along those lines. Here's what I and maybe I mean, I don't maybe have Bradley Beal trade talk fatigue. I 100% have Bradley Beal trade talk fatigue, and I imagine if you're a Wizards fan, you're probably really sick of it too. You don't want to hear, you know, all these people talking about potentially trading your favorite player. That probably sucks as a fan. 
even though if it is, the the conversations have to become reality and you have to have them if we have our jobs. Um, but with the thing that I find the most interesting is the Wizards are entering this offseason saying they want to compete next year and they believe they're ready to compete for numerous reasons because they think Bradley Beal is a great player, because they think some of their young players will make strides, because they think they'll be able to make some signings or maybe some trades that fill some holes for them, that they think, you know, a point that Tommy Shepard made to me in that interview, which I'll have in this piece, is, look, the difference between being dead last in defensive efficiency or second to last in defensive efficiency and getting to the middle of the pack is a couple of possessions a game, which he's not wrong about. He is mathematically correct about that. And if we have internal development and we believe, um, we believe that the internal development plus a couple moves that we could make could help us make that leap. Um, you know, it's more complicated than when you say it so simply, but mathematically he's not wrong. So he believes if they can get up to, say, middle-of-the-pack defense, and I don't think it's crazy to suggest if John Wall is even 90% of himself, they can have a top-10 offense. They had a top-10 offense for most of this year. Maybe you have a good team that ends up getting a low playoff seed. Maybe that ends up being the case. All that being said, the most interesting part of this offseason to me is trying to put that team. That's obviously the optimistic view. Um, There's a pessimistic view, too. But to me, the most interesting part of this offseason is nobody knows. I don't care what people say. I don't care how many people tell me John Wall looks great. Everybody says John Wall looks great. I don't care how many people say it. I don't care about the, the, the damn Instagram videos. Like, please, we went through this with Hoodie Mellow. We haven't learned that when you see a 10-second clip of a guy playing basketball, it doesn't actually show you when it's edited and they only put the good parts out, it doesn't actually show you how good the guy is. We don't know that. I w- how do you put together a team? This is the question, and there's no real answer to this. How do you put together a team when you don't know what kind of player John Wall is? Not just caliber, but how much John has changed, right? You don't know if his style is going to change. You don't know how he's going to react. Yeah, you might think this guy was a good player to play with John Wall when John Wall was himself four years ago, but you don't know if he's good to play with Wall now because Wall might have changed. He might have changed his style. His physical attributes might have forced him to do so. Uh, He might not be the same guy in terms of explosion. Like, he could look great for five minutes and then not great for the last 43. Uh, there are just things we don't know. And having to field a team around that guy who you don't know about is a really difficult game to play, you know? It is, but at the same time, there is an argument that you're building a team around, you know, quality basketball players and while there is this idea of you know the the best case scenario and the worst case scenario that you're looking for a specific you know a specific thing to fill out your roster to check as many boxes as you want and to leave, as you can and to leave as many negative boxes unchecked as you can and you're you're just you're always trying to do the best job because there could be injuries that happen subsequently everything else and so it is it is difficult and the part of it though that I think is the most compelling from the wizard's standpoint 
is the concept of years. So it is very different to commit to basically commit this team to being very expensive for, you know, just this year, you know, to maybe you sign a one year MLE deal like the Aaron Baines one we talked about before, or signing somebody to a three or four year like the Derek Jones Jr. We, Jr. deal we talked about before. And whether that is a good decision or a bad decision depends primarily on that player. You know, like if Derek Jones Jr. is actually successful, whether he fits, it's more about that player than John Wall. But what something that I think is exceedingly important to understand is that nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything is together, and so it affects ownership's overall willingness to spend. It affects, you know, how likely you want to keep that team together just because they're good or they're bad or whatever else. And so it is a challenge, but that's a challenge that general managers deal with. But the point that I'll push back on is I think that fit matters, but player quality matters more when we're talking about mid-level type of guys. Like, you're that's just that you're you know Mo Harkless makes less sense if John Wall is worse, but you want somebody like Mo Harkless kind of either way just because you need somebody like him. So you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I think that's a good point. I think that's a really good point, especially when like you're a team that's 25 and 47 and you're trying to get better. What you need ultimately is good players, right? Like you need you need talent. It sounds so simple. What do the Wizards need? They need some more good players, but. Yeah, that's that's I, I I tend to agree with you. I think you're right. I mean, that's that's kind of a different version of what I was saying earlier, which was, yeah, the Wizards need a rim protector, but if they can get a wing who's better for the same price, get the wing and then worry about the rim protector after. Like, just bring in as much aggregate talent as you can. So, it makes it makes perfect sense. You got any other crazy Wizards off season thoughts? I know you have no other place where you can come and just toss wizard stuff at the wall and see what sticks so so you have any any wild wizards takes or uh or thoughts or anything else well i am not the biggest fan of harry giles i think that taking you know we talked about these young unrestricted free agents and i agree with you that christian wood is probably going to be out of their price range so wood Derek Jones Jr. and Giles are pretty much the youngest guys. Giles, it's because the, that t- uh, option was declined for him, so he's unrestricted. And I I think that it's going to end up being, you know, like if he gets a portion of the mid-level, that's probably too much for the Wizards just because then you lose out on the other things. I think that rolling those dice makes more sense for a cap space team where the cost is actually a little bit less because, you know, using $4 million or $3 million or whatever cap space is different than the mid-level. But I, I would like to see Washington roll a couple of dice and and it's not just on young guys the other one that i've thought about for them is andre robertson somebody that you are very familiar with and the idea there is you need bodies on the wing and capable defenders and and robertson as as you're familiar with and you know people have listened he i think that was rob mahoney's podcast that he did that i thought was really interesting talking about defense i think that it could be good to have him in have him on this roster and probably going to get, I don't think Robertson's getting more than the minimum this year. And he, he'll probably have different kinds of offers, but I think there could be something intriguing about going to a team that if you're good, they'll actually play you, as opposed to just being more of a lottery ticket for a good team. So yeah, Robertson would be interesting. Um, they could roll the dice on somebody like Pat Connaughton, maybe. 
Um, I think he'll have better better offers on the table, at least like more cogent kind of kind of more cogent situations because the the Wizards have a lot of guys that I think they want to try out. But then the other big thing for me is like you brought up the idea of playing next to Bertans and Hashimura and like yeah you want a defensive forward but it'll be interesting to see because I mean what I the Wizards don't have great switch personnel in my eyes is do you just go for somebody who can kind of defend the best forward and then you just say okay the other guy's just going to handle it whether it's a smaller you know like if the the other team's best forward is a power forward are you cool just putting Bertans or Hashimura on that weaker small forward and I think the answer there is yes and in that case then you're probably leaning more for a bigger forward like a, a Harkless or something like that. But if you think of, we don't want to put Bertans ever on a three, then maybe you want somebody who's a little bit smaller. Great points. Great points. And uh, I agree with you wholly on Giles. I, I actually think, I, I have no sourcing or anything that the the Wizards feel one way or another about Giles, to be clear, none. Um, but using their past logic like Giles if they brought him in on a reasonable contract it would just fit in with Tommy Shepard's entire philosophy they they historically like bringing in young guys who are only a few years removed from being really high recruits or who they had really high on their draft boards you know they they really liked Thomas Bryant at the draft and he hit waivers and they were like, go get him. We still like him, even though he didn't do much as a rookie. And they were right. They same thing with Jerome Robinson. They had Jerome Robinson high on their draft board. And they were like, let's scoop him up for nothing. Go get him. Um, same thing with Mo Wagner. Um, and I don't think being wrong on particular prospects is going to deter them from doing this strategy because Tommy Shepard is very big on casting a wide net trying to get young guys, and Giles is still only 22 years old. Um, and I think Giles is pretty good. Like, he was the number one recruit coming out of high school, which is why I say this, by the way. Um, and then he had the knee problems. And I think Giles is is pretty good. Like, he's... He's more skilled. Like nobody watches the Kings, so I don't think anybody who, unless you know people like you and me who just sit around like nerds watching basketball all the time, like I, I think most people probably don't realize how how skilled he can be. Like he's he's quite he's quite a a good like he's a real NBA player. I mean, he could be a I think a nice backup center for fourteen to eighteen minutes or whatever. Um, so I. I like Giles, and I think that would make sense. And you bring up Robertson, and I'm like, damn, I didn't, I didn't bring up Robertson because he is going to be mentioned in, uh, in the Tuesday story. And I was like, I'll save some stuff for the Tuesday story. And you mentioned him, so now I'll mention it. Um, what about what about Josh Eustis? Can we get him in here too? <laughs> All the Thunder Wings who who don't shoot, we can get every single one of them. There, uh, there are plenty of them that are going to be available. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Robertson would make sense. He's also the type of personality that the Wizards like in their locker room too. Very well liked and outgoing, and uh, he just really understands defense too. Like, I mean, he missed two and a half years, which is wild. So even after watching him at the bubble, it's not like he didn't look like an NBA player, but. It's just he 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 played in some exhibitions, which I watched because I was excited to see him play after two and a half years of missing, and I used to cover him. And but before he got hurt, he was, to be clear, 
absolutely spectacular defensively. Like, in my opinion, one of the three best perimeter defenders in the NBA. Like, same same level as, you know, those those other guys you think of. Same level as Kawhi, all those guys. When he got hurt, he had he was going to be on defensive player of the year ballots. He was having that good of a year when he went down. Uh, and he's a very smart defender. He takes an unbelievable amount of pride in knowing personnel that he's guarding, knowing every single habit. I did a story with him when I was covering him where he was cool enough to sit down with me for like 50 minutes. And and I brought him like 15 different defensive clips of different stuff that he did you know, while playing in different coverages, different kind of guys he was guarding, all that. Why he did what he did and he explained everything to me and he's so methodical and he's so obsessed with – well, this guy will go left this often. He'll go right this often. But he only. But even though he goes right more than he goes left, he actually goes left more when this guy screens in this way. And it's just like he's so detail-oriented that I think he could lose a fraction of his athleticism and still actually be a good defender. Now, I wonder if he's a good enough defender to where it can justify the fact that he gives you nothing on the other end because he just really can't shoot. Uh, and there's a threshold there. But yeah, I mean, I don't even know if he, you talk about him getting a minimum. I don't even know if he's going to command a guaranteed contract considering he, he just missed two and a half years. He might just get a non-guaranteed minimum. So yeah, I mean, look, who's going to criticize a non-guaranteed minimum for a player who used to be used to be one of the three best perimeter defenders in the league three years ago? What's the problem with that? So yeah, I I, I think that is a really interesting one. Um, and if you get the ceiling, obviously like the thunder defense was like, like he made that defense for them. He turned that defense into one of the best defenses in the league when he was on the floor. He's, he's a guy who, if you get the best case scenario, which I don't know, probably has a very small chance of happening. It's like, well, that guy is going to make that guy is going to prop you up into out of the bottom 10 when he's on the floor, you know? So, something to think about. There's a lot to think about. Anyway, Danny, I'm sure you have a lot of stuff coming out. Um, what do you got to plug before we wrap up? Well, people can listen to the the Dunked On Mock Off Season. That is a big podcast that Nate Duncan, Dan Feldman, Kevin Pelton, and I do. The th- three of us take on teams. Nate is the player agent. And so the first part of that is public. The other parts are on uh, Dunked On Prime, which is our subscription service that we started during the pandemic. And it's uh, so you can check it that you can check that out. Um, there is, of course, Wizards content involved, including Davis Bertans. And then also my written work is at The Athletic. So as as things crop in, I also did a preliminary 2021 kind of a little bit of a preview because we finally have a cap number for that. And I'll have podcasts and written work all, all out so you can follow me on Twitter and get all that. So, Danny, I'm actually I. I am not stroking your ego at all. This is 100% true. And I don't think I've ever told you this. Um, and I don't think I've told Nate either. Um, Dunked On is obviously always really good. And I'm sure a bunch of my listeners listen to that podcast because uh, it's a great basketball podcast. But specifically, the mock off season and the mock trade do- deadline episodes are literally my favorite podcasts ever. Well, thank you. Like, I get so – I get excited for those the same way like like – Game of Thrones fans get excited for this for the season premiere of Game of Thrones. Like I love those podcasts. They are so entertaining 
and so interesting and so well paced and you guys just you guys consistently just kill it it is so entertaining the whole way through and it's 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 just great it's a great idea and the execution's even better than the idea and every one of my listeners should go listen to that thing because if you enjoy if you're listening right now, that means you have been listening to a Wizards podcast for like an hour and 15 minutes in which I will say, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing right now on hour 115 or like minute minute like 75 or 80 of a Wizards podcast? Uh, but go listen to that. Uh, it is fun as hell and super interesting. If you're a basketball fan, there's just no chance you won't enjoy it. It's great. Um Subscribe to Wizards After Dark too. If you're just listening to this episode and uh, you're not a subscriber, you can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe to The Athletic, like I said, at a discounted rate. If you go to theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark, you can review this show. If you go to iTunes, give us five stars, write a nice review. That always helps more than you might realize. I always say I'll be back next week. I won't be back now. Well, I will be back next week, but that's not the next time that I'll be posting an episode. I will for sure be posting an episode after the draft. I don't know if I'm going to record the night of the draft. It kind of just all depends on how long it takes me to write because uh, I'll obviously be writing a story right after the draft to post for Friday morning. So I will either record an episode after the draft on Wednesday night or I will record an episode at some point on Thursday and post that then. Um, and then with free agency starting on Friday, I mean, it's plausible that I could end up doing multiple emergency podcasts over the weekend or whatnot. But there's a decent chance that I'll end up – it kind of just depends on what happens. I'll either do a podcast on Monday for sure. Uh, if there's no major news or if some major stuff happens, I might just do some podcasts in the moment and post on Saturday or Sunday. Um, otherwise I'm sure I'll have something up for Monday next week. So a lot of content coming, a lot of writing coming from me over at the athletic DC, tons of stuff coming from Danny at the athletic and elsewhere. Check out all that. I'll be back later this week. I'll talk to you guys then.